Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. So I got a question I want to ask. It's more of a statement, but I want you to play along and tell me if I'm telling the truth or not. For those of you that participated in this ridiculous, ugly Christmas sweater Sunday, here's something I think I know about you. Here's what I think I know about you. If any of you have plans today beyond church, like if you're going out for lunch or if you've got a social event, some kind of thing to go out in public, you're going to the store, my guess is that part of your plans are to change out of this ugly Christmas sweater, right? True? Yes, absolutely. That's true of me. I don't have plans to go anywhere, but if I did after church, I got to get home and watch a Vikings game, but if I did have plans to go out to lunch or go out in public, I promise this sweater would not go with me. Why is that? Well, it's because John's a little shallow and I care what people think about me. Go ahead and judge all you want, but you're a little shallow too and you care about what people think of you as well. And I suppose to some degree that's okay. Like it's, it's maybe good that we care what others think about us to an extent that can be taken a little too far though where we put more emphasis on being too concerned with what other people think of us and we're not willing to look ridiculous sometimes. Now, the good news is this. I don't think, like, God's mad at you if you didn't wear an ugly Christmas sweater. I don't think that's, like, we have to be intentional about looking ridiculous. That's not the point. But I do think that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, I think there's going to be times that God's going to ask us, as part of our obedience to him, to be willing to look foolish and a little ridiculous in the eyes of others. And it's not comfortable. So we're in this series called Tidings of Discomfort and Joy. It's kind of our Christmas series. And here's what we're doing. We're just simply telling the story of Christmas, kind of through the lens, through the eyes, if you will, of the major characters of the Christmas story. And here's why this is important sometimes to really get back to the real story of Christmas, because we've done such a good job of surrounding the holiday of Christmas with so many warm and fuzzy, nostalgic traditions that just feel cozy and good. Just last night, I went to our our community, did an awesome presentation at the Crystal Theater, and it was awesome. They had a band and choir and special music. It was really cool, and it's all about that feel-good Christmas spirit, and there's nothing wrong with that. The point I'm making is just that that's not really the real Christmas story. The, The players in the Christmas story did not experience some cozy, warm, and fuzzy thing. They actually were invited by God to play an incredible part in this story we now call Christmas, and it came at a very real cost of personal sacrifice and discomfort. And so we're kind of looking at their stories and answering the question, how did they embrace discomfort for the cause of Christ and for the story of Christmas? So far, we've looked at Jesus, who paid the ultimate greatest price in the Christmas story. He left the glory of heaven. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he gave up his divine rights. He came to this earth. We looked at his story. He was obedient to the will of his Father, even to death on a cross. He was born to die. We looked at Mary. She, last week, we looked at her story. We, we heard how the angel said to Mary, "'You are highly favored.'" And you're blessed, and yet her highly favoredness and blessedness looked like a lot of discomfort and pain. We kind of wrestled with that that tension, like, is it possible to be favored and blessed by God and yet to experience discomfort and pain? The answer is yes. 
Today we're going to look at Joseph's story. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 1, in another kind of classic Christmas passage, Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to, we're going to see a little bit about Joseph's story. I'm going to start reading in verse 18. We're going to see this theme, among others, where Joseph was asked to kind of give up his reputation, to be willing to look foolish in the eyes of others. Okay, Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let's just pause the story for a minute. I need to explain something that's going on behind the scenes here that'll help us understand this a little bit better in Jewish tradition, their custom in this culture. So to get married in this culture was really like a three-part process. Step one was agree to get married to somebody. And, and that wasn't always an individual choice. Sometimes that was a family choice where there were arranged marriages. And so step one was let's decide who's getting married and make sure they agree to that. Um, you know, so, so now I know who I'm going to marry, step one. Step two was this very formal engagement process, way more formal than our engagement process in our culture today. Some, some translations use the word betrothed. It was like this betrothal period where it was so serious of a commitment that um, they literally called each other husband and wife and the only way to break that was divorce. But they were not fully married yet. They had not consummated their marriage and gone through a wedding ceremony. It was like this very formal engagement period. That's where Joseph and Mary are at as this Christmas story opens up. That's where God steps into their life. I'm sure they had plans that were far different than bringing the Messiah into the world. And then the third step would be to have this like week-long wedding feast, wedding celebration, and then consummate the marriage and then, and then be married as formal husband and wife. Okay, So that's what it's talking about when it's referring to Joseph and Mary as husband and wife and talking about divorce. They're not fully married yet. Okay, Let's keep going. So Joseph's getting ready to quietly divorce Mary when he finds out she's pregnant. Verse 20 says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet and he's going to quote from Isaiah here, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, here's, here's a key phrase. If you've got your notes in front of you and you want to underline a key phrase, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so Joseph's story, I'm going to contend, is a story of obedience. He obeyed God's will for his life. He obediently stepped into the part that God was asking him to play, and yet obedience was synonymous with discomfort. 
And, and if you've got your handouts and you're following along, here's the main thought I want to share with you from today. It's simple. It really ties into the whole series, if you will. But write this down, if you would, please. Obeying God often brings discomfort. See, this kind of flies in the face of what we would naturally tend to believe. I I would naturally tend to believe if I obey the will of God, it's going to be good for me. Right? Like if I obey God, things will go well for me. Not, Not uncomfortable, but comfortable. That's kind of what my natural tendency would think. If I do what God wants me to do, it's going to end up being good. And, and I would contend obedience is always good, but obedience is uncomfortable. Just like last week we looked at Mary, that it's possible to have God's favor and blessing on your life and still be invited to step into a, an uncomfortable story, an uncomfortable situation. God does not always bring his favor and blessing through fame and fortune and success. God does not always reward our obedience with instant gratification and instant comfort. Sometimes the very fact that we are obeying is going to lead to discomfort. So, so what ways did Joseph endure discomfort? Let's, let's make a list, just like we've done with Jesus and Mary. There's some of these are very obvious in the text. Some I might be reading into the text a little bit. But the first thing is this. I, I, I was very intentional in choosing this word. He had to trust God in response to Mary's unbelievable claim. Talking about Joseph, part of his discomfort was he had, he had this element of trusting God in the face of a claim that's flat out unbelievable. And, and you might be saying, John, you really said unbelievable? Like, do you not believe in the account of God's word of the, the virgin birth? No, no, hear me clearly. I believe it. I have 2,000 plus years of scripture and all kinds of eyewitness accounts and evidence that points me to the reality that this stuff actually happened in real human history. Jesus was a real person who walked the earth, did all kinds of supernatural things. I have the benefit of hindsight. I absolutely believe in the virgin birth. I'm talking about if I'm Joseph, it's unbelievable because I don't have all of this. What I have is a fiancé who we're betrothed to be married to one another, who's now pregnant, telling me that, hey, I'm still a virgin. I've never been with another man. Our plan is still to get married. And Oh, by the way, this child living inside of me is the son of God. We talked about this last week with Mary, the same dilemma she found herself in. Who's going to believe that? That's unbelievable. Mary, I I know I'm young, but I'm not that young. I know all this stuff works. There's never been a child born this way. It's unbelievable. And know this, I think, this is me reading into the text a little bit, I think after the angel showed up and talked to Joseph, he probably had a little easier time trusting. At least I think I would. But there was a season where the angel hadn't showed up yet because Joseph was contemplating divorcing Mary. And so there was this season where he's questioning have you ever questioned god where are you at what's the plan here this isn't how i saw this playing out okay the second thing and we talked about this last week with mary but joseph is right there with her um he he faced that stained reputation in the eyes of others this is getting to that theme of what are other people going to say what are other people going to think about this mary even if i believe you no one else is going to believe us I believe for the rest of their life, Mary and Joseph, there was a degree of scandal that surrounded their reputation. 
wherever they went, there were probably whispers and, that's those two. I mean, this, this was a big deal. And by the way, that verse, that scripture that we read gives us a little bit of an insight into Joseph's, well, a couple things. First of all, his integrity. I just want to point out, like, where we read that part about because he was a righteous man, he, he followed the law. His plan was to divorce Mary, but he did not want to expose her to more public shame and humiliation than she was already going to have come in her way. So that tells me a couple things about Joseph. One, it tells me he's a man of integrity, that rather than putting it out on Facebook, and you would never believe what my girlfriend did, right? He, he wanted to protect her, even in the midst of him being hurt. It tells me that he probably really cared for Mary on some level, that he did not want to expose her to that public humiliation. But that word that we read where it said he was going to divorce her quietly, I think says something else about Joseph. Yes, on one hand, I believe he was protecting Mary for the right reasons because he cared about her and he loved her most likely. But I think there's a level of self-preservation in that as well, where Joseph is thinking, I don't want everyone to know. I want to just kind of have this thing be dealt with quietly. I don't want everyone to know about this stain on my reputation, how I'm going to look now in the eyes of others. I'm a carpenter. Who's going to do business with me now? When this starts getting around in the bakery and the coffee shops and all this stuff and people are talking, it's, it's this reputation. And, and yet God's asking Joseph to play a part. Essentially, God is saying, hey, Joseph, my plan for your life is more of an importance to me than your reputation in the eyes of others. I'm okay if you look foolish in the eyes of others, as long as it's for my sake. And Joseph was invited to step into that discomfort forever having people look at him like that well here's another one this one comes right out of the text he had to escape the danger of king herod's threat if we fast forward to matthew chapter 2 um, i'm going to just read a, a little snippet of the story where okay so king herod he's the guy that's like in charge at this time and these wise men also known as magi we're going to look at their story next week they see this star in the east they're looking at Old Testament prophecy, and they're like, they kind of connect the dots and go, whoa, the Messiah is born. And they start making their way to, to see Jesus and to worship this king of the Jews. And word gets to Herod that these three wise guys are looking for the king of the Jews. And all of a sudden, he's threatened. His kingdom is threatened. He's insecure. And he does what an insecure leader is going to do. He's going to try and snuff out that threat as quickly as he can. He actually is going to make an, an edict that all boys, two and under, in this region are to be put to death. To do his best to kill the king of the Jews. So here it is, Matthew 2, verse 13. It says, when they had gone, they being the, the three wise men, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Second time, he's got an angel waking him up in the middle of the night. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother, and you should underline the phrase, escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Hey, question for you, church. Is this a comfortable situation to find yourself in? Hello? No, it's not. Like tonight, if an angel stop, you know, wakes you up out of your sleep and says, Hey, um, so I need you to take your wife and your kids right now and get out of this house because someone's coming to kill you. How many of you are comfortable with that? You good? 
No, it's uncomfortable. Question, was Joseph and Mary and Jesus, this is going to be, a, you're going to think it's a trick question. Was Joseph, Mary, and Jesus in danger? Yes or no? Yes, I was waiting for some theologian to be like, no, they were protected by the sovereignty of God. Like, watch it. I'm going to share a statement with you that we say sometimes, and I know what we mean when we say this because I've said it before too. Here's the statement, and it's a half-truth. The statement is, there's no safer place to be in all the universe than the center of God's will. That sounds powerful. Amen. Let's take an offering. There's no safer place to be than the center of God's will. But check it out. Is Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the center of God's will? Yes or no? Yes. And are they in danger? Yes. Because an angel said, escape to Egypt. You don't escape something that's not a danger. Their their lives are in danger. So watch me connect these dots, church. This is just me. I'm, I'm I'm not a very smart man, but here's what I'm concluding as I read this. It is possible to be right in the middle of God's will where he wants you and to have physical danger where you're not necessarily safe. See, as Christians in the United States of America where we value our comfort and our freedoms and our rights, we know nothing of the world that our kids today are getting ready to send little letters of encouragement to where there's people all over the world that are in very real danger of losing their life for the name of Jesus and nothing more. Unthinkable to us. And yet there are countless thousands I could point to, martyrs over the years of human history that God did not spare their life from death for the name and the cause of Christ. I want to say something to the moms and dads and the grandpas and grandmas here this morning um, and those of you watching online. I'm going to say something that's going to sound abrasive and you're not going to like it, but it's true. I want to remind you, mom and dad and grandpa and grandma, that your sons and daughters are grandsons and granddaughters. They do not belong to you. They're the Lord's. Scripture makes that very clear that they are a gift to you for a season, a steward. Like you have the the role of a steward to bring them up in the fear and admonition and and training in the Lord. To teach them to know and to love and to follow Jesus. to, To take their dependency away from you and to put it where it's fully on God. Where now as a young adult, they're starting to rely on God and his leadership and his correction and his wisdom. And here's the thing, dad and mom and grandpa and grandma, because your children don't belong to you, they belong to the Lord. He might ask them to go places and to do things that you do not want them to do because they don't feel safe. It's not, it wasn't your plan for their life. It wasn't your dream getting lived out in their life. It's God's dream and God's desire and God's gift that he's put in them and his call upon their life. Are you ready for this, dad and mom? Someday it may take your kid beyond the borders of our community to live in another state. Obeying God may require your son or daughter, grandson or daughter to move across the country or even across an ocean. And God's not going to ask you for your permission. He's going to put that call and that invitation on their life. It's going to bring discomfort into the lives of real people. And I'm just, why am I, why am I parking on this? Because just in the last week, I've kind of heard a story yet again 
nothing like that you need to know about, nothing in, even in this church, but yet again of a grandmother trying to stand in the way of God working in the life of one of her grandchildren, saying, I will not support you if you go do this or that, but this is what God's put in my heart. What do you do with that? Man, God's will is not always safe. And it can feel a little uncomfortable when, when, when we lose our control. And by the way, what is that false sense of security that makes us think if we can keep our kids all living within two blocks of us, that somehow you're going to keep them safe anyway? Man, if God puts a call upon your kid's life, whether that's to go into some mission field or to go serve them in some career that wasn't your plan for their life, doesn't feel safe, doesn't feel comfortable, not enough money in it, the 401k is not going to be big enough. Man, if God is leading in their life, dad and mom, grandpa and grandma, they don't belong to you. The safest place for them to be is truly in the center of God's will, and it may come face to face with real danger as part of that journey. So anyway, we see that in Joseph's story, and I just wanted to highlight that. Here's another one, and this is going to make some of us uncomfortable, because I promise you've never heard a Christmas series where sexual purity gets talked about as part of a Christmas message. But I want to, I want to highlight this part of Joseph's story. What, what discomfort did he play? Check it out. He displayed self-denial in postponing the consummation of their marriage until Jesus' birth. Is he really talking about that from the stage in the Christmas message? Yep. Because it's right out of the pages of Scripture, Matthew 1.25. Like, it was so important of a detail that God said, I want to make sure this gets in the story. Let everybody know, for the rest of human history, this detail about Joseph's integrity. That he was willing to postpone very real, natural desires to have sexual relationships with his wife Mary until Jesus was born. Why am, why am I talking about this? I'll tell you why. For one, it's in Scripture, so we're going to hit it. But secondly, we live in a culture that worships sex more than anything else. We live in a culture, and young people, I'm just telling you, you're coming up in a culture that tells you there is nothing more important on the planet than sex. And it is, it is the desire to be fulfilled of, above all other desires, regardless of with who, wherever, whenever. If it feels good, do it. No one should deny you that. And anyone who would dare stand in your way of fulfilling those God-given desires, those animal instincts from within, they're a prude, they're someone to be marginalized, don't listen to them. And yet, that is not what God's Word says to us about sex. God's Word clearly says God is to be worshipped above all else, that sex comes from Him as a gift to the institution of marriage, not just for making babies, because there's only one baby that's ever been born supernaturally like Jesus, and that was Jesus, right? Every other baby requires a man and a woman, but God gave sex to marriage for so much more than just making babies. It's for intimacy and oneness and pleasure. The whole thing was God's idea. He's not embarrassed about it. But God's word would say to every single person in the sound of my voice, I was going to just address this to all the single ladies because I like singing that song, but this is to every single human being in the sound of my voice. Whether you're 2 or 92, God's will for your life is sexual purity. And check it out. If God is to be worshipped above all else and sex is put in its proper place, what we understand is that when we worship and submit to and follow Jesus above all else, Part of the fruit of the Spirit of God that lives in us, one of the fruits of the Spirit is that of self-control. 
wait a minute, you mean I'm not an animal with this animal instinct that should just be fed every time I have an urge or a thought or a desire? That's exactly what God's word would say to you. So I just want to highlight Mary and Joseph's story and celebrate both of them. Can you imagine? You may now kiss the bride. You are husband and wife. Don't touch her until this baby inside of her is born. Whew, I'm glad I'm not Joseph. I'm just saying, like, that's uncomfortable, okay? The, the, the last thing I want to point out, and here I'm reading into the story a little bit. I can't point to a text that I know of that, that says this. But I think this is a valid thing as we look at how did Joseph have to get uncomfortable as part of this story was the fact that he accepted responsibility to raise Jesus as his son. And again, like, I have a feeling, I'm again reading into the story a little bit, but since we know Jesus was sinless, my guess is he was probably a pretty easy kid to raise. I, I doubt, like, Jesus ever looked at Joseph and said, you're not my dad, and goes, you know, storming off into his room. Kind of <laughs> doubt that ever happened, right? But to any, any man, or woman for that matter, that, that has stepped into the life of a son or daughter that was not your biological son or daughter and you give them all the love and support and affection of, of a father and of a mother like you know there's a cost to be paid with that and yeah there's benefits and 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 some beautiful stuff that can come from that but anyone who's ever stepped into that story knows there's a price to be paid and so i can't tell you exactly how that played out in joseph's life but again i guarantee probably tying into that whole reputation thing and may, maybe other areas where Joseph stepped into the life of this son, Jesus, and became his earthly father and brought him up. So maybe there's more things we could look at as we, as we study Joseph's story, but hopefully we've made enough of a list to where you recognize if Joseph were to see our nativity sets of today, he'd go, well, yeah, that's cute and everything, but that's not really the, how the real story played out. It's painful uncomfortable yes it's a story of obedience and it's a story of submission i don't know if i put this on your notes i made this statement last week and i would i would encourage you to write it down again that salvation comes through submission salvation comes through submission had had jesus not submitted to the will of his father in heaven we would not have salvation salvation would not have come into the world had mary not submitted to God's invitation for her to step into that very critical role in the story. We would not have salvation brought into the world through Jesus. Joseph played a very key role in the part of this story. And it was through submission that salvation came into the world. Here's what I want you to know today, church, is that it's the same today, that salvation comes into your life, into your heart, into your soul, only through submission. Where you submit your life, your dreams, your agenda, your desires, you submit your will to that of the Lord Jesus Christ. You recognize him as God. And you bow before him and you repent of your sin. By the way, I want to back up to that scripture. You don't have to put it up on the screens, but it's on your notes, that Matthew 1, 21 and 22. Like this is the, the part we normally focus on when we read this. We don't focus so much on Joseph's story. We love this, this line that says, she will give birth to a son and you are given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Like we love that Christmas story. We love the, the quote from Isaiah seven fourteen: the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us but check it out that statement that he will save his people from their sins there, there's two implications i want to draw out of that church that's this number one that implies that we are people of sin 
We are a sinful people in need of a Savior. And it also implies that Jesus came to be our Savior. That's the really good news. That name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Hey, church, what I want you to know right now, whether you're joining us in one of our physical locations or whether you're watching online, I want you to know that God is with us right now in this moment. He's in this room. He's present. He's closer than you may realize. And he's extending the gift of forgiveness and salvation to you. But it comes through submission. It comes through bowing your knee at the foot of the cross and accepting Jesus Christ into your life as Lord and leader. And I'm just asking you today, have you done that? If not, I want to give you an opportunity as I close in a word of prayer that wherever you're joining us from, that today would be the day that you call on the name of Jesus for your salvation, that you submit to him as Lord and Savior. To our church family that would say, hey, Pastor John, I've done that. Like, I know I'm a believer. I know I've put my faith in Christ. I know that, I mean, I don't do it perfectly, but I, I do attempt to follow Jesus with my life. And I just want to ask you this question of, of, around obedience, this theme of obedience. In what area of your life is God calling you to be obedient that you're struggling with? We've got this Christmas tree offering coming up. Could it be that God's inviting you to take a step that's uncomfortable, but it's a matter of obedience? Could it be in the area of relationships where there's someone that needs your forgiveness, like not even so much for them, but for your own heart? You need to forgive them. And God's saying, take the step. I know it's uncomfortable. Forgive them. Maybe it's some secret thing that's hid away that you think no one else knows about. Maybe truly no one else does know about it, but God knows and he sees it and he's like, hey, let's deal with that. It's not comfortable. Let's get help. Let's call that marriage counselor this week. Let's talk to our pastor and let him know where we're struggling. Let's get some help. So anyway, I don't know what that is. That's the beauty of preaching is that the Holy Spirit can take what limited words I'm able to bring from the stage and he can stick them in your heart with that power of, of his and his alone to just really expose and convict. My challenge to this church family today is whatever it is, let's take that step of obedience and submit to the Lord. Let's look to God in a word of prayer, and then I'm going to invite us to stick around here in Flandreau for just a brief little meeting here when we're done praying, all right? Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for this day that you've given to us. Lord, thank you for this season where we look back and remember the birth of Christ and, and the events and the people surrounding this supernatural conception and birth where the Savior was born into a sinful world in desperate need of salvation. Lord, thank you for the powerful testimony of your son Jesus and Mary and Joseph who stepped into their roles that you invited them to play. And through that submission, it's possible for us to have salvation today because Jesus did come and he did give his life on the cross to take a penalty upon himself that he did not deserve. I deserved it. We deserved it. Lord, I pray if there's anyone watching, listening to this today that's hearing this message that is so far from you, that has never really submitted their heart and their life to you. Right now, Jesus, I pray that your conviction would be upon them and they would be calling on your name for forgiveness and salvation, that they would be submitting to your authority. Lord, I pray for this church family. I can't see the details of all of our lives, Lord. Sometimes I'm, I don't even know the details of my own life half the time, but Lord, you see everything. And I pray that you would just expose in our hearts those areas in our life that you would call us to surrender to you, submit and obey, and to follow you, Jesus. Lord, you get all the praise and the honor and the glory for how you're going to use this message in our hearts and in the life of this church in the days and the weeks to come. We love you, Lord Jesus. 
I just pray your blessing over this people. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Cast Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday at 10 a.m.